Hey everyone and welcome back to the Indie Insider. This is episode one of season two. Let's do this. My name is Charlotte Carpenter. I'm a musician myself, but I'm also the founder of an artist-led record label and community called Baby Woman Records. If you're an artist and you're listening to this podcast for the first time, hello and welcome. And I hope in this podcast, whether it's in season one or the upcoming season of season two, there is something here for you because we should not feel so alone because I think a lot of us do. And we've spent years and years hustling our way through this industry, trying to, you know, meet that person at that right time or get that gig, get that support show, get that manager, whatever it is, we're all trying to navigate our way inside a music industry, which is constantly changing. And the idea of this podcast being here is that Kind of together, we can demystify a few things. We can talk really openly about some things that worry um, worry us and maybe challenge us. And we can also just start talking more to each other in a really, really open way and be far more transparent about the things that are happening around us. Because as soon as I started talking to other artists, I realised just how similar our lives are and similar our worries are. And as soon as you start talking to other people in this industry, you feel far less alone and you can actually start to have a little bit of fun and you build a community and, you know, you just really find ways of supporting each other and making a difference in this music industry. If you're a music fan and you're listening in on this, I'm not going to lie, some of this stuff might go over your head because sometimes we talk about uh, quite technical things and business minded things, but also... I actually think it's really good for music fans to listen to this podcast because you are going to hear straight from us the things that we have to do to have music careers and sustain ourselves as musicians and as human beings. It's good for you to listen in and just see how long and how hard it takes and is to be a musician today in 2021. But saying that, This isn't a podcast to be miserable about. I would just want to be open, have some fun, have some real conversations. And that kind of takes me perfectly into talking to today's guest, who I'm not going to lie, I have massively set the bar to have this as episode one of season two of this podcast. This is an artist who I greatly admire and I've had the pleasure of knowing for a few years and I've played a show with them before and they are just an independent artist who are absolutely crushing it and you can see the trajectory it's so interesting the amount of personality that they put inside their merchandise and their music videos and their songwriting and also the way they engage with their fans is really really encouraging we had a wonderful conversation shortly before christmas and i think whether you're a fan or an artist yourself you are going to love this conversation so please do Pop your headphones in, make some notes, make a cup of tea, whatever it is, and enjoy this wonderful conversation that I had with none other than Orla Garland. You're a name that comes up quite often, mostly because we massively admire what you're doing. You know, and we're like, and we're all like watching your trajectory. We're like, mate, she's got some like magic formula. I don't know what it is, but you know, she's so good. And um, yeah, we're all kind of watching you uh, on this really, really exciting journey. And I'm wondering if you've ever kind of, or, or if you ever give yourself that moment of, oh my God, I've come a really interesting and long way. Like, and I am here and this is, this is incredible. Like, do you ever 
look back at where you've come from and where you are and congratulate yourself I guess the answer is no and also yeah just not often enough I think it's so much easier to see that in other people isn't it like it's so much easier for me to look at other artists or friends and be like tell them how far they've come and really see that like objectively but it's really hard to see that with yourself and I think I'm just always so focused on the next thing that I don't nearly enough take enough you know take time to look Mm -hmm. back and be like well done I do like the kind of myself five years ago would be proud of me now or like myself two years ago would be proud of me now so I do try and think of those terms a little bit but it's hard to see it from the outside I think when you're Mm -hmm. sort of in it but that's still still really cool do you uh I do now that um my girlfriend is really strict with me about it actually if I'm honest um okay there's been times in the past where I just haven't I've always kind of gone on to the next thing and she kind of is a bit like you know what are you doing you've just achieved this huge thing like why are we not in the pub celebrating this thing you Mm. know um or something like that so yeah she ever since I met her she's been sort of like telling me to stop and um kind of evaluate what I've just done and stuff which is extremely helpful but that doesn't mean I do it all the time to be fair I think Mm. I'm pretty terrible at just pausing for a moment and being like oh this is cool well it's because the goalposts keep moving and I think that's the um the tricky thing you have to be ambitious to do this you have to be a bit crazy and somewhat driven and I think in order to be driven you're always looking at the next thing so you're going oh well I just played 150 cap venues now I need to play 250 cap and now I need to play 400 so those things are good like that looking forward keeps you Mm -hmm. uh focused on the next thing and in a job and in a world where we don't have promotions or like a clear ladder to step up I think those milestones looking at venues or whatever it is the metric that you value your success on but but the danger of that is that that you just don't stop and like look sideways and be like oh this level is good yeah I would be happy to stay here yeah yeah and it's an achievement to have even got this far Mm -hmm. but yeah so I think that yeah the like cross-section between like looking around and evaluating and appreciating being grateful versus being driven and hyper focused on the next thing that's like a hard middle ground to find I think is there a place where your drive comes from probably wanting to prove myself I don't know who to or what for but I think there is a little bit of that probably um would you say yeah, I've, I've, sorry would you say it's pretty like relentless your drive to some extent I think over the last couple of years moving into my mid-20s I think a quality of life I know quality of life is like a thing that I think about way more than I did when I was mm-hmm. early 20s mm-hmm. And I think I was really happy when I was like 18, 19 to just be like hopping on Ryanair flights and megabuses and just like doing stuff all the time. And I did not care about my mental health. I didn't care about being comfortable. I didn't care about seeing friends. I didn't care about doing exercise. I was just like, Mm -hmm. go, go, go. Now I care a little bit more about having a nice life Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with music. And I don't know. I don't think that makes me less driven, Mm -hmm. but it definitely makes me want to keep an eye on how much Mm. I'm doing and I want to be like I always want to move on to the next thing but not at the not at the Mm. not with too many sacrifices like that I would have been willing to make when I was much younger was there a moment for you where kind of the penny dropped and you were like oh actually I am more important than this 
what more important than the like hustle yeah um not one moment but I think I think just looking left and right at at friends that don't do what we do who who have quote-unquote regular jobs Mm -hmm. seeing the importance to them and like being able to save money and being able to own a house someday and being able to have their weekends off like all these little things that ultimately you know make some people happy I think I was I I sort of convinced myself I wasn't allowed to want any of those things you know I just thought well when you do music you have to just say you just have to tell yourself you're never gonna be able to buy a house so you're just gonna have to sacrifice your weekends forever and realize I I don't think it has to be that way but you do have to set those boundaries yourself especially with things like the weekends Mm -hmm. learning to switch off which is not as clear as leaving the office or switching off at 5 p.m like you know yourself it's it's such a close to home job especially when you perform under your own name you're not necessarily in work mode between 9 and 6 p.m and then you switch out of it it's way more of an all-encompassing thing which Mm -hmm. is a great thing when it's going well and a rubbish thing when it's not yeah Mm. I think the last time we spoke um it was a couple of years ago I think in London and this was maybe before you or just as you were starting to take on a new manager I think mm-hmm. I think that I yeah think that was happening I think yeah you're when, right god that must be about three years ago now yeah and you were talking a lot about um kind of being in different rooms with producers and writing a lot and I think you were like fleeing all over London all the time like writing songs and stuff I mean what's happened in those three years since we last since we last saw each other so I found a manager so that probably happened like pretty soon after we met um Claire is her name she is the best like truly my dream manager has made life so much easier since I don't think I really knew like what managers really did Mm -hmm. until Claire came along like I kind of knew but I didn't really know and I don't think I even really made that life I don't I didn't make life very easy for Claire because I was (laughs) such a well, I had to be such a control freak when I didn't have a manager with every aspect of my project. The idea of letting someone else in was quite difficult. I had to re- like relinquish that control over a long time. It probably took a year into working together for her to be like, you need to let me do these things so that you wow. can do yeah. your thing. It, I was just so, I was so precious and you know I I just wasn't letting her do her job now I realize because I'd be like well no I want to send that email and she'd be like no (laughs) but you have to write the songs because I can't do that bit um (laughs) so as soon as I like learned to get into a flow with it and learn to trust her it's like a relationship isn't it it's literally just Mm -hmm. like a trust thing um when I did kind of ease into that life became significantly better um and I have I do a lot less sessions now. I I I think I've found my mm-hmm. my my circle or or mainly my producer in this guy called Tom mm-hmm. um who again it's like a speed dating thing not not dissimilar to the manager search it was just a lot of trying different things until I found someone who was happy to let me be really involved in the production which I found okay. to be like a much harder search than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I, Have you had that? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to work with the same man for years and years. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was, we were, we were working together for 10 years in total. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I decided to not do that anymore about a month ago. 
so it's a wow. really it's a really really uh, fresh kind of change in my life um which actually was really difficult to make you know like you know when something just doesn't feel right and yep. you're and you're listening to these records and I was like mate I'm not playing anything on these songs I've written mm-hmm. you know and it's like it's so easy to let that happen as well and I can't even tell you like how it happened that's what really really like started to bug me I was like how how did what like that's not me playing the guitar you know and why yeah yeah like and yeah the whole thing which is really messed up and I don't know how we got there but we did and it started to make me feel super uneasy about the things I wanted and also when you are working with the same producer for that long you know there are there are definitely opportunities that I've said no to in the past Mm-hmm. And this, you know, because when you start these kind of relationships in the music industry, you kind of then cut yourself off from other opportunities and people wanted to start working with me and I couldn't. And I think the closer I got to my 30s, the more I realized that I needed that I needed to be able to stretch myself and be in rooms mm-hmm. of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but all of this stuff came to me like super, super quick. It, like mm. we, we had a disagreement one day and, you know, when like, you have an argument and then all of a sudden you just realize that you are wildly unhappy yeah 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 like oh because it it bubbles to the surface you're saying things you mean but it's like on a bed of years of other things yeah yeah it was it was really weird and I think one of the things I've learned from that is actually just to really think about what it is that I want you Mm. know and when you work with a producer it's those that the line can be blurred so easily and so quickly without even realizing it you know, because especially got- when you're at a, a certain level where I feel like loyalty and gratitude comes into it. I felt the same way with other producers in the past mm. and also my first manager. You're so grateful for people giving you their time. You don't necessarily think at a very early stage, like, is this the right decision for me as an artist? Is this the right thing for me creatively? Mm. Like, I'm always just so gushing and grateful for anyone giving me their time that, that you know whether it's the right thing for me is like the last thing I think about I'm way more focused yeah. on making sure they know how grateful I am and I'm just happy to be here and actually like putting yourself and what you think is best for your artist project in the forefront mm. that's so it's really brave like and it's hard to do it's so hard and I think I imagine you've probably been in the same situation as well where um someone kind of like gives you this crazy favor you know, you're like, mm-hmm. you have favors in the music industry and you're like, oh, I'm so lucky to have this opportunity. I'm so lucky to have this favor and I'm going to do everything I can with it. But how much of a business can you build on that as a foundation? You know, I've made a promise to myself to, to, to try and do that less and less. And when I work mm. with friends or friends work with me, producers, people making music videos, people doing artwork, people playing for me, like even if it's a close friend, a really really good friend who wants to do it for free mm-hmm. I just say no now because or even like a big like even a reduced rate I just like I, I just want to refuse it because it, it removes the like client dynamic that I want mm-hmm. to have even with my friends it removes the power that I have in vetoing things I don't like in changing situations I don't like because you're just like drowning in all this gratefulness all the time yeah it's not good it's not a good place to be in um I think I was there for maybe far too long than I should have been. And I think some of that comes from maybe inexperience of like working with the same person for that long. It's comforting. Mm, it's a really vulnerable thing to go into an artist producer 
dynamic is so vulnerable especially when you started working with them when you're younger and it goes on for a long time so mm. it's not necessarily an easy relationship to build from the ground up and like any relationship it's just it's familiar yeah. and comforting and the alternative is scary and uncertain so I, I totally see how that can happen but I'm glad that you're out of that if you wanted to be yeah yeah I think it's been quite frightening really like just how many people that knew me and knew the situation that I was in were just like well we're glad that's over sort of thing I'm like what why didn't anybody give me a heads up about this like yeah like did you really see I, yeah this I've had this you know? as well in similar in some ways in yeah. the past yeah, yeah Weird that. but sometimes people know that you have to make those decisions for yourself yeah and I've had this again with managers producers like often I have had people who are close to me or people who work with me know that whatever it is the pairing is not right and they've clocked it quite early on but they're not necessarily in position to spoon feed me the answer which is maybe Mm. to cut ties and start again I've had like loads and loads of music lost this way like I almost made an album with two guys and a kind of joint masters agreement Mm. in other words they owned the songs as much because I couldn't afford to pay both of them production fees and like we made so much music that I now can't use because I had to make a decision even though I got quite far into working with them I was like well this music isn't good and it's not very me yeah and I needed to cut ties and I lost like eight or nine songs that I can like never use again yeah so those decisions do come with consequences they're not easy ones to make Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, since making that decision, I, I like bought like recording gear and stuff for the first time, um, which is amazing. But at the, at the same time, I feel like I'm so late to the party. You know, I'm just like, whoa, I should have been doing this for so many years. Oh, no, could have, would have, should have, though. You know? like, it's never too late to start any of this stuff. And now is a better time than ever to jump on it because mm. there are so many tutorials and so many people around you to ask questions mm. to. It's, I know um, you've done you've done quite a lot of home recording right yeah I say this while my mic is <laughs> on a ring binder folder <laughs> um yeah I have I I feel a lot more comfortable with it than I did a few years ago but it took a while I don't think I like lean into the tech stuff that naturally like I don't think I'm a very techy person um so I did reject it for as long as I could but when I started the Patreon the thing I was vow, you know, vowing to send out was demos. So I wanted them to be of a certain quality. Um, and also just wanted to get better at production, like desperately. So yeah, over the years, I've kind of got the, got the gear. Um, but it's fun. It's really empowering. And even if you can just get to a point where you are making sketches of versions of things you want pe- other people to make, that's mm-hmm. still really empowering. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm at the level yet where I can make something from scratch like a fully fully you know big full band production I don't think I'm at the stage production wise where I could release something that 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 is 100% me but I know it will get there at some point yeah but even being able to just make a demo that nods to that and then I can get one other collaborator involved to like Mm -hmm. level it up to what I had in mind but but they kind of they're only got on the same page because I've made the original demo like that is in itself actually just so fun I never really like realized the power of that really because I, I was playing around with demos when I first got it all I plugged it all in I was like oh mm. I'm gonna play with this song um and because 
like I said, I've been in this situation with the same man where he ended up doing everything. I forgot that I had this part of my brain that I wanted to explore. It's like, I just like cut off that, that part of me, you know? And then mm. I was like, oh, uh, I can hear this guitar riff. And I was just spending hours trying to like perfect this guitar riff I could hear on my head, um, which was a, a massive learning curve. And I'm wondering if that sort of thing also happened to you when you got your first interface and you were like I've got all these sounds on my head and I need to figure out how the hell I'm gonna do it oh my god yeah it's like learning a new language you're like or, or being like a baby yeah. <laughs> and like just trying to like say words and no one around you can really like understand them and this is still this like massive barrier that you keep hitting um it's really frustrating I still find it really frustrating I think I'm at the stage now where I can make things I'm really proud of but I'm really slow like that's what I've noticed because I work on my own mainly so I don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be like at a session speed so anytime recently or the last couple months like anytime I have done anything in person and I'm in the driving seat that I noticed my my speed um but yeah it is it is it is frustrating and it and it does take a while but I think you would be I think you will be and probably are like it's really encouraging when you realize how much you can pick up just from looking over other people's shoulders that have been doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've found that with, with your guy that you were working with, but I realized that not necessarily that you can watch people do it and immediately do it yourself, but you will be like familiar, even from not being in the driving seat, but like, you know, even from communicating with him, mm-hmm. like what a compressor is or mm-hmm. what, what reverb is. And just even having that lingo is such a huge like a huge le- like leap forward so and then it's just you... putting it into practice with your own fingers like yeah. rather than someone else's it is true because I remember I'm not the greatest at playing um in time and it's taken me ages to kind of find my own click or find my own like mm-hmm. drums and stuff like this that I can mm-hmm. effectively play along to and mm-hmm. I never I never would have known how to do that really beforehand I remember the first time he put a click on I was like mate I'm not following this like what yeah, is this I hate it just turn it off yeah just like what is it and then he's like oh okay so you might respond better to a drum track and then we were like building this stuff and so that's like massively helped so yeah you're right actually but um I was wondering actually when you were saying about that just how um you came to meet Tom your new producer yeah so I met him in a session we were doing uh some writing for other people which I started doing probably about two years ago not done a huge amount of it but I went through a stage probably after I was doing my big like very deliberate producer hunt for me and I wasn't really getting anywhere with it and like I said I had these two guys that I was making loads of stuff with that didn't work out in the end that wasn't the right setup so I walked away from that and I was like oh my gosh like I have so many of the puzzle pieces in place I've got this manager that I love um, but I'm still on this producer hunt it's a little bit like when you're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you're being so deliberate about it that you should probably just stop being deliberate because it probably will find you in another way maybe but you have to stop (laughs) like forcing the hand so not literally gross so (laughs) (laughs) so I stopped doing sessions for me and was like I just like to be in a few sessions for other people because I want to keep making music but I'm like sick of my own voice I'm sick of this really specific type of producer that I am looking for that may just not even exist um and and then I got put in yeah my publisher put me in a session for girl for a girl called Erin Bowman who was this American singer-songwriter who was over and yeah they just said you want to do a session with Erin and a guy called Tom and Tom will be producing in the session it'll be the three of you 
so we had a session in Tom's studio which is Soho weird like bizarre mm-hmm. place to have your studio like <laughs> right in central London and it was just a really like low pressure low stakes way for me to get to know both of them because I wasn't the artist I was the mm-hmm. top liner that was coming in to help write the song for Aaron mm-hmm. and after that I did another session with Tom for someone else I can't remember who it was but all the while I remember being like that guy's got a good vibe <laughs> um and then eventually I asked if he would do a session for me so we started writing songs just the two of us and yeah it just like clicked quite quickly and I think I just really liked how receptive he was to me bringing in production stuff mm-hmm. to start with um me going hey I made this like beat at home and I would love to start with writing around this mm-hmm. it sounds so obvious you know if you're writing mm-hmm. a song for that person that you should let them be involved but I have found it to be something that a lot of producers really struggle with mm-hmm. I think if I've learned anything from doing sessions in different capacities for me for other people it's that everyone wants to you know it's such a vulnerable vulnerable process and everyone wants to feel useful so if you come in and you're like almost too useful and you're taking a job away from them I think some people see it as a threat Mm. and that's not necessarily a female thing but I think it can be if you're coming in and going I want to sing the song I want to play the song and I want to be involved in the production and it's like it's a bit like some people are like that's my job like go over there and feel your feelings on the couch and I (laughs) make the beats (laughs) so when you know so those people are the ones to look out for and to run very far away from (laughs) I think (laughs) but some people are happy to have that and they've only become that way because they have worked with a lot of artists who are very very happy to take a back seat sing their vocal and leave and that's fine I have been that person when I was younger Mm -hmm. um but I think this culture now of artists wanting to be involved in the production or at the very least understand what's going on in the production Mm -hmm. it's it's keeping a lot of producers in check and some of the kind of more old school guys like they're going to struggle to get used to it but I think it's that culture is here to stay and Mm -hmm. that's not to say every artist has to produce their own music but I do think the tides are turning in terms of like that being something that more and more artists are interested in and Mm -hmm. I think it's a good thing I think it's about taking um a more ownership as well hopefully totally Um, I remember being younger and playing a song live that I had never played live before and realizing and I had and this one I was so much younger and I wasn't involved in the production at all I remember opening up the stems and being like there's way too many guitar parts here for it to be playable I'm the mm -hmm. only one on the on the stage holding a guitar and there's like 15 overlapping guitar parts like why didn't I why didn't I realize this at the time Mm -hmm. I was so out of touch with what was going on I kind of vaguely knew what knew what I liked but I just didn't Again, have the lingo to communicate it to the producer so yeah there's something just really empowering about yeah like you said taking mm. taking ownership I think it's about the balance as well because I mean for me in the past there's been songs where I'm like okay so that's how it's going to sound in the studio and I'll figure out the live version mm-hmm. but actually what I've come to find is that I, I hate that like I, I want to whatever studio version I have I want to be able I want the song to stand on its own when it's me and the guitar on stage you know because mm-hmm. I don't tour very often with the band I haven't done it for a couple of years so whatever I'm communicating I want to be what you can hear on the record um I remember going through a bit of a phase where I wasn't taking a lot of ownership in the studio and it was for one particular song um mm. the guy I was working with was just like I don't think this is a guitar song and I was like okay why you know and 
he made this beautiful piano part which was beautiful but then I actually ended up just like hardly ever playing that song live because you couldn't I just couldn't do it like perform a version that sounded anything like it yeah just couldn't do it and like he he went through like the guitar part with me which I originally wrote then he put to the piano but then started getting a bit jazzy with chords and stuff so then it changes the vibe completely Mm -hmm. um and then he had to re re reteach me the guitar part and that was just something that never really sat well with me and no I was like oh my god I wrote this song from such a a raw place and now I don't know how to play it but this is probably this guy just wanting to feel useful right Mm -hmm. because you've brought the song to him so it's already your thing and it's just him and again it's not a bad quality I think it's very human but it's him going how do I insert myself into it in order to bring value oh well I'll put it all on piano because I'm good at piano and there's no like there's no consideration whether that's the right thing for the song or whether that's the right thing for you and your project and how you're going to inevitably have to play it live I think producers being quite disconnected from live also is just a bit frustrating you know it is a different world it's a different side of music you know that guy that put 15 overlapping guitar parts in my verse you know he doesn't have to deal with the idea of trying to pull that off live so it's fine yeah Yeah. but I think again being like quite stubborn about those things because you're gonna have to be the person that stands on a stage and makes it work like Mm -hmm. it's important because if you don't like put your foot down about these things no one will yeah especially when you're on a small team or it's just you you're not in a band you know how I mean the have you always been able to kind of like put your foot down in these sort of conversations or situations or is that something that's come with confidence and and age would you say definitely confidence and age and also like regretting the times where I was younger where I didn't put my foot down Mm -hmm. I think it all comes back to the same kind of gratefulness that I was saying at the beginning when I was younger it was very like thank you so much for doing a session with me thank you so much for giving me your time and I meant those things I really did but the it did mean that I would bite my tongue when I wasn't comfortable with the situation Mm. I didn't like where the song was going I wasn't very quick to flag it um and I regretted those things after always Mm. so I think it comes from a long time of not necessarily being very assertive and then eventually Mm. being like this is my project with my like literal birth name on it if I'm not happy with these things like I have to be vocal about it even There's if it been, makes me more of a nightmare. Well, that I think this is one of the underlying problems that a lot of women in music have that I've spoken to over the years. You like, we don't want to be a problem. And even if there's situations like where you do feel really grateful and lucky and you're excited to be in this room with this person, like you are worth something and you have to keep telling yourself you're worth something, you know, but that's actually really, like a really, really difficult place to get to. Like, it's not easy saying things that you know is going to like throw a spanner in the works you know Mm -hmm. and I saw this thing on Twitter the other day that I like cannot stop thinking about and it was something about it was something about a a sort of sentence in emails that their theory was that really it was predominantly women that used it did you see this is that the one it's like um no worries if not no worries if not yeah I have never ever seen yeah a guy put that in and I have put that in and more recently tried to backspace it as much as possible or I'm just asking just wondering so sorry to get in the way like I'm so Mm -hmm. quick to use that kind of language this sort of taking up a really small space um kind of words it's so dark (laughs) a friend of mine a friend of mine recently who's um who's incredible she asked me this really like 
strange question and I'm going to ask the same thing to you and if this doesn't cool. come off if this doesn't come off well I'm sorry but I think it will <laughs> so um basically she said to me Charlotte if you could go and live your life now for the rest of your life doing whatever it is that you wanted knowing that at the end of that life you can hit reset and it's going to bring you back to today what would you change explain one more time it's gone over my head so, don't worry it took me a while to also get the same thing so okay she said, so here you are today and you're gonna now say to yourself I'm just gonna live life however I want to without mm-hmm. worrying what anyone else thinks because at the end of my life I'm gonna click reset and it's gonna bring me back to where I am today what mm. would you change well I definitely wouldn't write things like no worries if not <laughs> <laughs> I think I am like at heart a people pleaser. Like I'm not mm. just a, a a woman. I'm like a people pleaser by nature. Maybe that ties into that. But I think I am, yeah, I, I am skirting around words a lot, trying not to be difficult, trying not to get in the way way too much. Um, I would love to be less like that. I'm actively mm. trying to be less like that, uh, actively and manually trying to like allow myself to be more difficult if it means I'm going to get what I want or what mm-hmm. I need yeah yeah I yeah. yeah I think just like caring a little bit less what people think of me in general and everything that that changes in your behavior is what I would do That's yeah. a, it's a really interesting answer because nearly every woman I've asked that question to has said exactly the same thing like I would Ooh. care less like just that I would care less said, yeah I would, that was it like she asked me but I'd care I less like, specifically yeah. about what people think of me I wouldn't yeah. care less in general like yeah. I care so much about my project and my music and because mm-hmm. of like the things that come with that and how I, are important like I care mm-hmm. so much about mixing I care so genuinely in that moment even mm-hmm. though it feels futile after once you sign off on the song I do care so much about the level of the snare I care so much about how bright the vocal is like all yeah. those things are so important to me because I care so deeply about my project so I would yeah I would I would not want to care about what people think of me as much but I think I, I wouldn't want to care less overall yeah I think that's the right like, thing. I have a radiator behind me that is like burning like the sun. I'm just going to Don't worry. Off. Mine's on and it's creaking, but I'm living for it. Yeah, I think um, the, the interesting thing about that question is that it puts your mindset into this place of like an imaginary world almost where you could achieve everything you've ever wanted and you don't care how you're going to get there. So then you start thinking about the ways that you would get to this imaginary kind of goal, shall we say, and mm. oh, maybe, oh yeah, actually, maybe I just stop caring about people, what people think about me, for example, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and my answer to my friend was like, I think I just care less about like how I'm doing things and just do it, you know, and like follow yeah. my instinct more and mm-hmm. stop second guessing myself. And all of these themes, I've asked, I think I've asked maybe four or five women so far, like inside the music industry and out and nearly all of them have come back to me with this conclusion, including myself and including mm-hmm. my friend who like asked me the question. Um, and I just find it fascinating. I find it so interesting. That's just how we all feel. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't want to be a dick. Yeah. I think the music industry is tiny mm. and people who are a dick everyone knows that they're a dick I feel like I have heard like yeah yeah, everyone knows it's so tiny and so I but I yeah I would like to skirt around things less and 
I'd like yeah. to just be more like open and forthcoming in my language as well, you know, mm-hmm. not kind of dance around the point so much. I find myself doing that a lot in order, again, to to appear not not difficult. Yeah, it is. I don't know how I I don't even know how that's going to change. I mean, I do. I feel like the fact that we're talking about it now is a massive step forward, you know, in comparison mm-hmm. to where we were when we were starting out. Maybe mm-hmm. so that maybe that's how it's going to change. Maybe they're the messages we just need to start firing off to the people that are going to come up from underneath us sort of thing yeah and I think everything has to change in order in in order for that to change like me not speaking my mind in sessions not feeling like I had a place in being involved in the production when I was younger that doesn't just come out of nowhere or come from inherently being a woman it also comes from being in sessions with Mm -hmm. older male producers who tried to put me in my place when I wanted to get involved with that stuff then you do a session with the next guy who's actually not this guy like Mm -hmm. guy a puts you in your place guy b you do a session with a year later but you're projecting your experience with guy a on guy b Mm -hmm. and you're making yourself small and so it is sort of quite cyclical and this industry does have a way of like putting you in your place a lot Mm -hmm. I can't think of anything more character building and sometimes brutal than trying to just carve a place for yourself in the music industry so I think you have to cut yourself some slack as well. I think it's not just a straight up being a woman by default. I think this mm-hmm. this world that we are in has a way of making you feel that small sometimes mm-hmm. and therefore you you act that way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. You have some great yeah. stuff you're coming out with, Ola. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, oh it's the, the wisdom the, from that. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, seriously, this girl's seen some things. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really powerful and um there's something as well that uh someone mentioned to me the other day actually um we we're talking about patron um which a lot of musicians including myself have joined this year because of the pandemic um mm-hmm. but you have been using patron for quite a long time is that right yeah i think coming up on like four years cool and what and what kind of put you there in the first place being broke (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) I mean just being broke yeah I resisted it for actually a really long time like I think you're right obviously a lot of people have signed up this year with le pandemic but previous to that I knew a lot of people who um, were in the kind of YouTube space and a filmmaking space that were hopping on it and I just remember multiple people telling me years and years ago when it first popped up to consider joining and I remember just being really uncomfortable with the idea at Mm -hmm. first I think it's god there's nothing more vulnerable than asking for help asking for money and I had never done anything that would even be close to crowdfunding I hadn't done a kickstarter or anything and I just had this weird feeling that it sometimes looked a little bit like a charity, which is just totally like my own feeling Mm -hmm. and not, not true. But I think I just got my head around it eventually. And I was like, look, I've got people that like my music. If I'm going to keep myself alive and keep myself paying rent in London, I need to figure out a way of making music Mm -hmm. uh, or making money, not making music, definitely not making music. In fact. (laughs) So I was working like, yeah, second jobs, Um, as everyone has at some point and everyone does and yeah I just wanted a world where I could just supplement my music income a little bit so that it would Mm -hmm. be enough to keep me alive and then I could do more music it was just like an equation almost like a very simple sum where I was like 
I think I can get better at music at a faster rate if I'm doing more of it, but I can only do more of it if I can make it spit out more money at me. Yeah. So yeah, I got it about four years ago and it was just like a really slow thing. I think it really was um, quite a niche platform mm-hmm. at that point and something that was like embraced a lot more in the States than it was here. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I think it has something to do, well, it's a, an American company, but I also think that in the States, I mean, their healthcare and everything is so fucked up, but they they don't have like grants like we have. They don't have like arts councils like we have. I think in the States, they are much more comfortable with the idea that if you don't fund something, it just won't exist. Right. And so I think they were just quicker to hop on an idea like, like patronage because it makes sense almost with their culture. Whereas I think with us and over here, like we think, um, we think that artists will just exist even if we don't fund them, they'll figure something out. <laughs> they'll sign to a label, right? That's what labels are there for. Yeah. So it's re- I found it really encouraging to watch it become more of a, a mainstream thing. And like now I support loads of people on there that mm. I think are great. And they're not just musicians. They're like people who make podcasts and like filmmakers and mm-hmm. like, youtubers and all sorts and I just think it's so fun I'm so so glad that it's become less niche than it was when I started because I think it's so cool and I think everyone should have it I think there was a really strange uh stigma like stigma is it stigma is that the word yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um to it back in the day actually um I think you've touched on it and it's uh feeling like it's a charity thing and um and I think it's that kind of realization of actually you know what this this music industry is completely changing and yeah if I'm going to be able to afford to do this how am I going to afford to do it you know especially it's if changing I, yeah like even if like if you don't want to sign to a record label or um if you know or even if you're just not being offered any how how are you still going to do it and um I think it's also knowing like your worth as a musician and not being like because I think it's really difficult actually these days to remember your worth because we aren't being paid for anything anymore you know and and music is so accessible in this crazy incredible way but crazy way that is really like fucking us over um Mm -hmm. and it's just like yeah okay so what's my worth you know what are my fans that who truly support me and have done for years what what can I what can I do with them you know yeah and it's okay. also like, I think, sorry, I cut across you. Go ahead. No, no, you go, go ahead. It's all good. I think convincing yourself to get something like a Patreon, putting yourself out there in that way, asking for help and offering something in return. So much of getting my head around that was allowing myself to believe, which I do believe now, but kind of forcing it at the beginning, like that you have, that music has a worth in people's life you know like Mm. it's there is value to it I think this year more than ever it's been so easy to been like well I'm not a doctor I don't do like an important frontline job I do this really indulgent (laughs) you know sometimes selfish performative job but I think like music and films and like art have really like kept people sane this year and the people that make that stuff need to exist in order for the art to exist and I think there is there's so much value in the kind of in, in music and what it does for people and the distraction it provides and things are really crazy. I think getting your head around that and it doesn't even have to be an ego thing. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. like, I deserve to make money and exist in this space because I'm amazing. It's like, you just, if you, if you know that people like your music, 
then it isn't that crazy to ask for a tenner a month from them because maybe that's mm-hmm. what it it is worth to them and they won't sign up if if it's not worth that to them mm-hmm. but why not give them the option if it means that you can buy that mic that you wanted yeah or whatever you know is there do you find there's been like best I, I'm trying to say this in a way which isn't going to sound like we're trying to uh, oh, fuck it, I'll just say it. Um, like, is there a way that you found best entices these people in? Oh, reels them in. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. I'm actually really bad at promoting my Patreon. Like, I tend to just leave the link in the description of YouTube videos and let people find it. I don't really even shout about it elsewhere on the internet. But I think... I think it's good if you have a Patreon to be like really clear about what you're giving the people. Mm-hmm. I think it's confusing when people make Patreons that are like, I make music and stuff and blogs and handwritten postcards and videos. And also I draw, you know, and it's just like, what, what the hell are you signing up for? You know, <laughs> yeah. I like the clean cutness of being like, I'm going to make you a demo and I'm going to send it once a month. That is what you're signing up for. There are other bits that you can get if you want to sign up at a higher tier, but like that's the base level. I think making it quite simple so people kind of know what they're in for Mm because if you're not someone that uses Patreon and you don't know what it is Mm -hmm. and then you're not even really sure what you're getting in return, it can just be kind of confusing. I also think it's really easy to offer like more than you can give, Mm -hmm. which is not the question that you asked, but I'm just thinking of like, no, I made like, I was so ambitious with what I could offer suddenly you get this thing where you're doing like multiple live streams and like I was sending out physical merch that was a nightmare I was like trying to keep on top of all this stuff and I was a bit like oh my god the admin of this has become a full-time job but the whole point of this existing is that that music could be my full-time job so so did you kind of then change it as you go yeah 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 yeah, for sure oh I changed it loads over the years and and people are cool with that generally yeah yeah I I I was surprised I was scared to change it um but I did over the years and like I think yeah the main thing for me was that just keeping up with sending like physical physical merch out was just like a nightmare I was finding myself just doing like so many trips to the post office (laughs) so for me anyway like the physical merch was just like actually just not not worth it and I wasn't even like charging people enough for postage so I was like sending these kind of care packages out realizing that this person lived in Australia and I was like I'm spending everything that you have given me plus Mm -hmm. someone just getting you this thing and actually it's interesting like I've done a few sort of really like for my own just curiosity like sort of surveys on there over the years and like the, the, the rewards that you offer people, like, they are important. And like I said, I think it's good to be really clean cut and clear about what those rewards are. But a lot of people just want to support you. They don't really care if you send them the merch sometimes. You know, it's, it's not really the yeah. point of it for everyone. And obviously, if you commit to doing something, you have to see it through. But it's also important to remember that like patronage doesn't always come with something back. Just sometimes knowing that you're supporting someone is often enough for people. Mm-hmm. So don't like go running around trying to like send everyone <laughs> st- stuff all the time and like offer more than you can give because they don't, the people that are signing up, they don't want it to become an extra chore for you. Mm-hmm. They want you to have time to make music for them that they will eventually get and get to own. So, I mean, not to mention one of the, one of the really impressive things um, with, with your patron is that it seems that you've created such a tight knit, incredible community of people. 
mm, you know that's and, so cool and that's uh I would say it's probably one of the most valuable things you can probably have you know 100%. in this day and age totally. I think I've actually I think by pure coincidence I've actually ended up meeting some of your patrons no way that's yeah it. I can't remember where I was I was touring somewhere in Germany and they came to a show it wasn't for me it was for someone else Oh, oh, so yeah. I I think I was meant to be playing a show with um. Oh my god, I can't remember their name at all. Someone I was meant to be playing a show with someone in Germany, and they happened to be in a bar, watching me whilst waiting for this other person to play. Right. But I was sure. there playing the show, and I came to know them. I think you know them quite well, and it's really racking my brains now. Sonia. What are- yeah 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 yeah. she ended up French girl yeah she ended up being in this bar with like these other people and they were just like oh we came here to see so and so but they cancelled their show and now we're here we've met you blah 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 and then I saw them like through Twitter through the years like being massive all the fans and but it's really nice because yeah like they're a part of this community and um it's just incredible to see and they're great people as well I had a great drink with them actually yeah they're so sick I'm surprised again and again with you don't get to pick who supports you or who stumbles across you. But like, I've been really surprised the last couple of years when you do get to know someone more intimately like that, you know, and actually see them in person and stuff. Like it's really, it's really cool when you're like, you're the kind of person I would just hang out with anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I you, and, and you're, or you're the kind of person that just has the sense of humor that I like. I yeah. like love when that happens at shows when you do have people who come up and meet you after merch and you're like, oh you're just like someone I would be friends with maybe that's how they yeah get drawn to you I don't know but it's so valuable and I think in a in a music industry where it's so easy to get caught up in like your Spotify streams and like mm-hmm. these numbers that just you know these milestones that feel like you never reach where you're meant to be and mm-hmm. I just think what Patreon does give you when it goes how you want it to is like a quality over quantity of fans I would much, much rather have a couple of hundred people who like truly deeply care than thousands and thousands of people who mm-hmm. are just like casual listeners. Mm-hmm. There's so much more in a Sonia who will come from a different country to come see you play yeah. than someone who stumbles across your new playlist, thinks it's fine, moves on. Like there's so much more currency in that. And I think mm-hmm. the kind of artists that I love see the value in that like, in, in, in keeping those people happy you know mm-hmm. yeah and how important that is like I think Imogen Heap does a really good job of that with all the stuff that she's done the last couple of years her creative passport stuff is fascinating so cool yeah I went yeah. to an event a bunch was explaining that it was just like so cool and when she does an album now she does these like big like kind of box set versions of the album with, like bits of the lyrics and like these huge things that you can own and like because she knows that there are some people who care you know they're like that quality of fan that really want to own that stuff and she wants to give people the chance to be that close to it so I think it's I think that's what good what's good about Patreon is you're distilling it down to yes a much much smaller number of people than it's going to be on your Spotify or whatever but those people like really want to be there mm-hmm. and if you can keep them happy to be there and give them enough back then it's just like so sick I feel like this um, this podcast could literally go on for hours and hours um, <laughs> because there's so much stuff that you've experienced and so many things that that you know that you I think are of massive value to other independent artists. Um, 
but is there is there anything that you would like to say to another independent artist who is is perhaps listening to this and they're thinking you know am I doing the right thing by doing it independently I think so I think the artists that I love are a really concentrated version of themselves they just their music in particular but also like how they put it out and how they gig is just very like concentrated distilled version of them I'm thinking of people like Imogen Heap just it just feels like her fingers are on every single part of her project and that's what you get as an independent artist often you're picking up the slack out of pure default you're wearing a lot of hats because you don't have a marketing manager and uh, a product manager and all these different people so you're having to embody like a bunch of different roles that would otherwise be given to you in a traditional label setup and that can be like a bit of a pain sometimes you're not necessarily always the best person to be doing those things but you know, at least, even if your music don't won't reach as many ears as you would if you had a massive marketing budget and team, I think you you know as an independent artist that hopefully your music will be like that really distilled version of you because you're having to mm-hmm. make it, but then also like maybe make the videos for it or make the videos with a friend. It's always like you mm-hmm. need, nothing's being handed to you, in other words. So I I think even though it's so much more of, of a hustle. <laughs> a lot more admin than you would ever like yeah I think it makes for better music that is hopefully like truer to the artist like a closer version more distilled version of you than you would hopefully mm. get in a massive massive team where there are loads of people mm. dictating to you what you should do and I just like relish that control I like fucking love it actually <laughs> and I would really struggle even if I I would so of course there are times I would love like more money to make things and I would love to go and do like big crazy 50 grand music videos or whatever but I'm happy not to do that because I'm the ownership of owning my own music mm. and ha- making the decisions means so much more to mm. me but your and video that, the stuff you make like your videos are such a strong imprint of you you know it's so wonderful to see every video that you make or every piece of merchandise you you come out with it's like what's she done next you know like what other part of her being has she chosen for this yeah but that's exactly I I really appreciate that because that's what I love like I have only ever made music videos with friends like I've never had the opportunity or really the need to like reach out to like people I didn't even know like it really is like as as DIY as it, it could be and it's so yeah, I think it just feels more rewarding. Like once I get my album out next year, that will be like a big milestone for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a world where I would love to have got that out sooner. And it just didn't happen for me. It took me like this long to build my small but mighty team and save up mm-hmm. enough to actually do it. So like, but I but I know that no matter what happens with it, that like the feeling of it being out and the, like that milestone mm-hmm. will mean just, it will feel amazing, ho- hopefully, mm-hmm. um, because it has been, is you know so independent mm-hmm. I think a lot of um I think there's a lot of pressure for a first record I think I, I think mm. it's it's you know I think it's really it's an interesting conversation on its own because when is the right time for a record you know and how and how you view it and um maybe some artists have brought them out too soon as well you know there's there's so much to to be said about a debut record um but I feel like the one of the things I've learned and I I haven't made one yet but one things I've learned is is to tell myself it's just this moment in time this is all it is 
mm-hmm. you know this is where I am right now and this is what the record's going to be I feel like um I, I've probably put the idea of it on on a bit of a pedestal for for a really really long time totally I think I had as well I think the fear of having an anticlimactic first album mm-hmm. was so real to me a few years ago now that the goalposts have changed so much like what even is an album now what is the difference between a long EP and a mixtape and an album Mm -hmm. anymore really and I think hopefully that gives people like I find that really cool I think it's really cool I think there is less pressure and I think you can have more fun with it and really like change what your first album even means and is to you there we have it everyone that was my wonderful conversation with Orla Gartland for episode one of season two of the Indie Insider if you enjoyed this episode please do let us know reach out to me Charlotte at C Carpenter Music Everywhere or come and join and see kind of what I'm up to with my independent record label called Baby Woman Records and if there was something in this episode that you really really resonated with I want to know about it and I bet you that someone else wants to know about it so if you could just take one moment out of your day to share it that would be amazing and make sure you go and listen to Orla's brand new incredible single called More Like You that came out yesterday and for you diehard fans that might be listening you will already know that the music used in today's episode was from that single thank you so much for listening I hope you've enjoyed it and I'll see you next week 